Welcome to the Global Health Collective, a podcast sharing with you practical and cutting-edge ways to make change in your community. Current global health challenges are complex, from the rising burden of disease to the climate crisis to health disparities. These are the same challenges impacting our local communities. The world needs each and every one of us to come together to create solutions. Hi, I'm Shania Bopa, your podcast host. I'm a student in the Masters of Science in Global Health Program at McMaster University and executive director of the nonprofit organization, the Canadian Courage Project. With a focus on the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals, I will be calling on the world's leading changemakers to talk health and sustainable development and share their stories on how we can make change today. Today on the show, we have Dr. Tina Moffitt. She is the Associate Professor and Chair of the Department of Anthropology at McMaster University. Her area of interest is nutrition and food insecurity as it relates to the sociocultural and physical environments. Dr. Moffitt's current research focuses on knowledge translation and support for pregnant women in regards to developmental origins of health and disease. She specifically looks at how it relates to maternal diet and child health outcomes. We're welcoming Dr. Tina Moffitt. How are you today? I'm doing well, thanks. How are you, Shania? I'm great. I'm, you know, it's it's a lovely Tuesday. It's a little bit gloomy out, but I'm really happy to be here with you today. Now, my first question, you're on this podcast to share with us your experiences and the impact you're making. What is one piece of advice you would give your 22-year-old self listening right now? Tell my 22-year-old self to have more confidence in my abilities and particularly my ability to make change in the world, not to be, you know, afraid to uh, to do that and to to try that and to make mistakes. I think that would probably be another piece of advice would be don't be afraid to make mistakes cuz you know, you learn through your mistakes even though they're hard and none of us want to fail, but at the end of the day, making mistakes actually, I think, in the end, builds confidence. Awesome. Yes. No, I can totally relate to that. As a student myself, I feel like I've, I have that dilemma every single day on, you know, whether you're taking the leap of faith or, you know, putting yourself up out there and putting yourself up to the opportunity to, to be criticized is really, really mm-hmm. hard, especially with, I think, the world right now that we live in with social media and everything. So thank you very much for that. Now, question two, let's, let's talk about your research and what you're doing. So we know you're working with the Hamilton Community Food Center and your project aligns with sustainable development goal number two. So how are you meeting this goal with your research right now? So the, the Hamilton Community Food Center, for those of you who don't know much about it, is one of 11 community food centers that are, are across Canada. And the center basically offers a really welcoming place for families uh, to come and uh, eat good food, um, share share food. Uh, it, it has free meals that it offers throughout the week. It has a subsidized farmers market on Saturdays, and it's um, it's also uh, it also offers programming for people of all. And the research that I've been doing is focused on youth programming. So they have uh, two programs. One is called Kids Club that offers gardening and cooking for kids from 8 to 13. And then another is for adolescents, and it's called Cooking Up Food Justice. And so uh, we did some research with the center 
to um, evaluate the programs, get some feedback from the participants, and also think about how to um, to uh, work on expanding their youth programming in the center. Um, the programming is mostly geared to families that are uh, living in food insecure households and also um, the, I'd say at least for the kids club, a, a large proportion of those families are newcomers to Canada. And uh, so they're struggling with all sorts of things um, financial struggles, uh, uh, changing, uh, adapting to a new culture, and particularly a new food culture in Canada. It's amazing how this program is, you know, targeting so many different people from so many different backgrounds, which is super, super crucial, especially in the climate that we are in. Now, I love that your project is targeting a local issue but it aids in this global change. Now, how would you describe that to our listeners as to why this research matters in the context of, you know, you're doing your research in Hamilton, but it's aiding this, this bigger equation. Mm -hmm. Food insecurity. And I like to call it food insecurity as opposed to hunger, because I think food insecurity encompasses hunger, but it also speaks to other issues as well. So food insecurity has been, I think, normalized in Canada. It's considered to be something that many families struggle with, many households struggle with. Food banks have become institutionalized. And when, it, when something becomes normalized, but it's unhealthy, it's not a good thing, right? So by, by doing research uh, and working with organizations like the Hamilton Community Food Center, that tr is trying to trouble to to trouble the, the the idea that food insecurity is normal and acceptable is uh, is really important. So we have to shine a spotlight on it and say well, this is not acceptable. This is not the way we as Canadians want our society to be. And so I think uh, that that also connects with the the federal government's food policy that came out in 2019. Uh, and I don't know that people know enough about that food policy. I think if you're a foodie or you're someone working in the field, you'll know about it. But I think maybe the average Canadian doesn't know that uh, in 2019, the, the government did set out uh, some goals for Canada. One of them is to reduce food insecurity. And so, you know, again, by doing research, we, you know, and, and talking to you today about this, which is fantastic uh, that I, that you gave me this opportunity, we can make more people aware of, of the issue. Yeah, that's one thing I can definitely attest to. My So I do own a nonprofit and we do tackle homeless youth specifically that own animal companions because we found that, yes, there are shelters, but the number of shelters that A, accept youth and, and B, accept youth with animal companions is very slim. And the number of children that are that are suffering in the GTA alone was shocking. And I didn't know that a year ago. And same with, you know, the project that you're working on right now. I had no idea that that many number of people in my own city are, are really being affected by this issue. And I feel like it, it's, it's normal for most of us to think that these issues are, are never happening in our own community. They're not happening mm -hmm. to our neighbors. They're not happening to our peers. They're not happening to our classmates. And that, that is obviously just not the case. Now, let's think about what can I do and what could the people listening right now do to increase their knowledge on this matter 
and maybe take a step, especially during COVID, um, everything's online. So it is really, really hard to get our hands on actual change, but there are things that we can do digitally. So is there anything you can recommend? Mm, that's a really great question and a challenging one. I mean, under normal times, I would say go visit the Hamilton Community Food Center and find out what's going on there. But that's difficult now because their programming is quite limited. You know, again, I, it's a small step, but, but start go, reading about the federal government's food policy online. There are documents. It was actually a process that went through a lot of consultation with people for two years and start thinking about, you know, when this COVID-19 pandemic is over, what can we, we begin to do to, to make the situation better? I think we're, we're in a crisis, obviously, because of the pandemic, but the, the pandemic has really brought to light the crisis of all sorts of social inequalities and food insecurity is one of them that were already there before. Mm-hmm. And it's just kind of it's just kind of uh, exacerbated. COVID nineteen has exacerbated the situation, but it, it wasn't good before. Yeah. So I think I think people need to maybe take this time to do a lot of reflection and reading and listening to podcasts. I, I know I've started listening to more podcasts since since the pandemic started and educating themselves about what's going on so that we'll be ready for you know the next election we'll be ready for things that we can do in our community once once they open up again and you know i'm really curious what what how did you end up here what drew you to the area of nutrition and food insecurity and what fuels your passion every single day mhm Yeah, well, you know, it started, I was a student, uh, undergraduate student at University of Toronto. And this, this was in the the 1980s. And I, I got a, it was like a part time, or I guess it was a full time summer job, but it was kind of, you know, wasn't the greatest pay. It was one of these kind of internship type things with, you know, some, some salary, but not great. But anyway, I, I got this job as a student working at Foodshare Toronto. And that was the time when Debbie Fields was the director. She's a, she's a huge hero of mine still today. She's championed food insecurity, you know, for a long time now and has come up, you know, Food Share Toronto is incredibly dynamic. It always has been lots of really radical, you know, radical for the time programs that they really, really didn't just work to provide food banks and supply food banks. They really worked on activism and making people aware of the fact that food insecurity is a is an income issue, a money issue, not necessarily just a food issue. Although they still also really focused on food and, you know, salad bars and schools, that sort of thing. Like they were really, really exciting. And at that time, my summer project, part of it was just to work with developing community gardens at the time, which now everybody, we all know about community gardening. We all know how fantastic it was, but that was like a, wow, what an idea, 1980s to have a community garden. And so that was really exciting for me. And then I, I didn't, you know, fast forward to doing studies in anthropology and I did ended up doing my doctoral research in Nepal. And of course, you know, very rich food culture, but also many food insecure households, a lot of poverty. Uh, I was working in just outside of Kathmandu, and I was working with carpet making 
workers, carpet making workers who, who actually they were families that were kind of working in the industry. They'd come from villages, moved to the city. They were, they were having, they had young children and there were usually the both man and woman, husband and wife would be working in the industry and they were raising their young children in that industry. And so, you know, I was studying some of the health and nutrition issues related to young children living in that kind of environment. And, you know, when I came, uh, when I then got this position at McMaster and I relocated my research to Hamilton, you know, obviously a very different landscape, but, but some of the themes were there still issues around poverty, you know, it affects what we eat. Uh, affects our our nutrition. I mean, th- those themes continued, and uh, inequalities again. So, you know, I guess over the years, I've just become more and more passionate about about uh, the right to food and and good food, right? Not just any food, because we can give any food to people, and we do that through food banks and so forth. But it's not good food, and it's it's really. I mean, as we see the the prevalence of non-communicable diseases, diabetes, uh, heart disease, they're, they're increasing. And, and there's a reason why they're increasing. And part of that is related to our food system. Yeah. I, I am curious to know, I know you are studying knowledge translation as well. Did your experience abroad when you were doing your PhD research um, influence this interest at all? Or, or how, did that, how did those two kind of connect? Yeah, I mean, when I was working in Nepal, working with with mostly with mothers with young children, and these were poor, uneducated mothers. I was constantly struck by and angry about the fact that many of the health professionals, for example, didn't recognize the structural inequalities or the po- grinding poverty that these people were living in. And they would often say, oh, we just have to teach these people how to wash their hands, feed their babies, get vaccinated, whatever whatever was going on right now in terms of their health programs, that they were always accusing these people of not knowing how to do something. And that if they just were educated, they would be fine. And, you know, the reality was that the the lack of clean water, not enough water, you know, not enough money to buy the food that they needed. Like those were the impediments to their good health. Nothing to do with what they knew or they knew how to cook nutritious food. They didn't, they didn't need to be taught how to do that. That, that was part of their cultural repertoire. Like they're, they grown up cooking lentils and leafy greens and blah, blah, blah. They know, they know what to make. They just couldn't do yeah. it and they couldn't make safe food in, in an environment too because there was a lot of contaminants uh, bacterial and parasitic parasites and so forth so that was frustrating and that's where I think knowledge translation so it's not just knowledge translation I, I in fact I, I worry sometimes about the term knowledge translation because it makes it sound like we have to teach people yeah. it's not that it's actually knowledge translation of you know, up and down the structures, right? So I think health professionals need some knowledge, right? Mm-hmm. They need to understand the, you know, what the barriers that people are living with. And and many of them do, obviously, if they work closely with their, their patients. But, you know, average people also need the knowledge as well, right? But they need knowledge that is going to help them and not isn't going to, not going to, you know, be patronizing or, 
uh, assume that they don't know anything, right? So it's really, I, I think, and I guess, you know, anthropology, I think, needs to be a little bit better about that knowledge translation, right? Because what, what anthropology can do is bring sort of the everyday experiences to light, everyday experiences of people. And we have to, re- we have to kind of figure out how to, to make that apparent to people in power, right? Yeah. The, that, that don't always know what it's like to live these lives. I was working at the Department of Family Medicine as a knowledge translation intern a couple years ago, and I found it just wild to me that people assume that everyone across the board is reading the paper with the same with the same background, and that's just not the case. And I think it's hard a lot of the times for researchers to kind of say, you know, no, this should be simplified. This needs to be simplified. This it's yeah. not necessarily dumbing it down, quote unquote, but it's creating it in a in a way that's accessible. Mm-hmm. And I think that needs to be emphasized. It, it doesn't matter if the research is amazing. If it's not accessible, that research, it really isn't making the impact it could be. Absolutely. And yeah, and, and, and we've, we've really wrestled with this. So I worked with a research group, uh, Dr. Deb Sloboda, who's in biochemistry and biomedical sciences, and a postdoctoral fellow, Dr. Lusadra McCarricker, who's been working with us on Mothers to Babies. And we've really wrestled with that concept of developmental origins of health and disease, because it's a, it's a kind of a complex, it is very complex framework. And, and you really have to be careful how it's translated. It, it can be kind of scary for parents and, and it can get a little bit blaming, blaming uh, the mother kind of thing. So we, we've really worked to kind of make that uh, translate it so that we we're talking to people about the need for changing the structures, changing uh, opportunities, um, reducing social inequities and trying to put the onus on that because, uh, and again, that knowledge translation is important, not just for, for the parents, but also for healthcare providers and policymakers. Yeah. It really is a complex and tricky and you really have to translate it in a way that takes the onus and the burden off the parent. Yeah, one thing I'm, I'm learning right now I'm doing research on patient-physician communication, and I'm learning about the courses that are actually integrated in medical schools now today that weren't, weren't integrated 10 years ago, and how much of a difference it's actually making, because a lot of the times, you know, it's not the role of the parent that's to tell their kids to take their vitamin C or to drink their water or to get exercise, but their family practitioner really has that impact, and so targeting those providers and those healthcare professionals that are going to make that difference. Mm-hmm. And again, teaching them the importance of knowledge translation and how important it is to integrate into everything that they do. Absolutely. Now, this is going to be an interesting question. So has anything surprised you in your work or your research that you, that may be negative, maybe positive? I think, you know, positive, a positive aspect is I've been surprised, I guess, or I don't know if surprised is the right word, but really happy to discover that, you know, people like the folks at the Hamilton Community Food Center uh, are really, really passionate and dedicated about their, their work. And that's really inspiring to me, right? Especially as an academic, because you, you do get kind of lost in the 
ivory tower. So I guess it, what's I guess surprising to me too is how much how much how much inspiration you can get from working with people outside of the university <laughs> setting, and uh, and I and I done that to some extent, but not to the same extent that I have over the past couple of years with the Hamilton Community Food Center. So, yeah. So I think that's kind of a happy a happy surprise. It's challenging to work with organizations for sure because uh, they have their own mandates and their own schedules. Um, but I think. I think in the end, it's it's quite rewarding. I think offering and integrating those different perspectives in the way that you're shaping your research moving forward to really makes an impression and makes that impact. And I think that everyone who's listening who might be researching right now, whether it's in relation to the SDG goals or not, can learn from incorporating perspectives that you may not necessarily think of firsthand. We think of when we're doing research, okay, I have to integrate only people in academia. Those are those are the experts. So mm-hmm. so why would I look towards anyone else? And I think that's totally not the case. And I think it's often dismissed, I would say. I agree. It is harder to do really to do community engaged research in terms of the way the academic structures are set up and publishing and so forth. And but I think in the end, for me at this point, I'm, this is kind of, I'm doing just what I want to do now. So what is one thing that you can tell our listeners as to why the 17 sustainable development goals are very important right now and important to tackle by their goal of 2030? I think these goals are really important just because I think it's really important for us to all have a common framework to work with. We I, I, and I think again, maybe I mean you know we, we're all looking for the silver, the silver you know lining on COVID. But one thing maybe COVID is teaching us is that you know we can try to take action together. It has been polarized, but we're stumbling towards some kind of collective action. And so things like food insecurity, climate change, all of these things are really important issues that hopefully once this we get through this, we can say, look, we we dealt with this. Yeah. Now let's maybe look at some of these other issues that, that really we really have to deal with. So I think it's important for us to have a common framework to work with. Now we all we may take different perspectives right on these and i think diversity in solving these problems or analyzing these problems is is important i'm like for example i find the hunger i know it's sort of a tagline and i the zero hunger i i understand you want to you don't food insecurity can be kind of a difficult concept and and not always translatable to the general public but you know it, food insecurity is so much more than hunger so i think uh, I, you know, I, I, I would say like, I would approach this a little bit differently from maybe somebody else, but at the end of the day, having this common framework is really, really useful and important. I think a big thing that I'm kind of struggling with, and I feel like a lot of my peers are too, is we each have a different perspective. We each have this interest. However, if we all want to come together to make change, how can we go about doing that? You know, how can we collaborate, whether we're from geography or medicine or English or even global health? What role do all of these perspectives have and why, why do you think it's so important that we do come together at this time? Well, we have to come together because we can't, you can't solve anything (laughs) without coming together, right? And we've seen that, right? The more polarized we get, 
I mean, you don't have to look far to, you know, the U.S. to see how dysfunctional that country has become because of polarization. I, I, I guess what ups, I guess what dismays me is that I see people afraid to debate or afraid to to look at other people's perspectives um, and not always think that you've got the right perspective. Um, I think. W- we're, I don't know what what's going on exactly, but we seem to be yeah we we seem to be just in our own little camps and we don't always we aren't able to talk with one another and and I think with it with that talking what you do is you see different perspectives uh, that you come up with new ideas right that this sort of synergy happens and if we don't do that I, I don't think our ideas are going to be as useful. Um, in the end of the day. This comes back to your initial thoughts on your 22-year-old self and being more confident and really taking that leap of faith and not being afraid to push boundaries because at the end of the day, what do you really have to lose? You know, we're so caught up as students, I I especially, feeling fearful that if we say the wrong thing, we're going to get a poor mark, we're going to be, you know, shunned in our classroom or whatever it is. And it's it's full circle here, right? Yeah, no, I'm, and there's, but there's two components to that. I just want to make it clear. One is to push the boundaries and to, and right, not to be afraid to speak out and, and challenge and question. But the second part, which I think sometimes for some people is harder to do is to actually listen like really listen to what other people are saying and really think about their arguments and consider them and then go back to what you're saying and then maybe be willing to shift things a little bit based on that. And it's not necessarily compromise, but it's um, learning how change happens. Right. And it, and it's, it's a kind of a dialectic process and it, it, it doesn't just happen because one person is so radical that they make that change. It happens through this, you know, debate and coming together. And, and so, yeah. Uh, but you're right. If you don't have the confidence to speak out and question like, well, why, why do we normalize people being hungry? Why, why do we think it's acceptable that a certain proportion of the population is not going to have good nutrition, right? And I guess if I were not interested in research per se, how can I begin to tackle these goals in my community without having to engage in a research project or an initiative like that? Well, I do think that, you know, good steps, again, not always easy during COVID, but a good step is to do some volunteer work and work with organizations or people in your community to kind of get a sense of what their lives are like, right? And find out what their struggles are um, to make a difference. Like becoming more political too. I think that a lot of change happens through government and we really need to have faith in democracy and not just assume that it's not going to do anything because it may not go as quickly as we want change to happen, but it does happen. You know, start finding out what your your local you know member of parliament is doing or talking to them about some of these issues and and find out what the party platforms are and and you know be ready to to vote, you know, in a way that might make a difference and and not just at the provincial and federal, also at the municipal level as well. Because municipal governments actually do quite a bit when it comes to um, 
thinking about, you know, supporting local organizations or, um, you know, thinking about day-to-day uh, -day issues around food insecurity and that sort of thing. So it's important to think about understanding our political system and being an informed citizen. And then I guess also have conversations with people, like talk, talk to people, just people in your family and, you know, not, not in a mean way, but challenge them if they say something that you don't agree with. And, you know, really, really uh, engage because the more engaged we are, I think the more likely we're going to see change happen. Amazing. So I'm going to wrap up with our last question and it's hopefully going to inspire anyone listening right now. What is one quote that you live by, whether in your research or your personal experiences and why do you live by this quote? So I, I don't know if I can say I live by this quote. <laughs> But I do, I, and it, it may be just kind of, again, speaks to some of what we've been talking about today, but I, this is a quote by Confucius, and it is the man who moves, and I'm going to change it to the human, to non-sexist <laughs> language, the human who moves a mountain begins by carrying away small stones. So again, I guess this speaks to this idea of change that we're not all going to make radical change, but I think we can, you know, do some small things in our lives. And if we get together with other people who are doing small things, then, you know, one day we'll get to that mountain. So yeah, that's my, my quote for today. Amazing. The way <laughs> I think about that is we're all pieces of the master puzzle mm -hmm. and we all have a piece and we all need to come together to create the most perfect master puzzle as we possibly can by 2030, if we can. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> you and me, Shania. Yes. <laughs> we'll make that change. Yeah, no, I'm, that's, that's, uh, that's actually probably a nicer analogy, the puzzle. I like it. It speaks to diversity as well, which is, is really important. Yes. Well, um, thank you very much, Dr. Tina Moffat, for joining me today. This was so much fun, and I've learned so much about SDG2, and I really am inspired to start researching whether it's in Hamilton or just Canada in general, to expand my, my knowledge and my learning on, on what I can be doing better as a global citizen, whether it's, you know, researching for 30 seconds in the morning, searching up Twitter, going on your Instagram, reading a newspaper article, everything, everything counts. Yeah, good point. We didn't have even get to that. That's a really good point. Just being really literate, right? Thank you all for tuning in and don't forget to follow us on Instagram at the Global Health Collective to be updated on all of our episodes in the next coming weeks. Thank you.